so glad trouble don't last always I'm so glad trouble don't last always I'm glad trouble don't last always oh my lord oh my good lord oh my lord, oh my good lord. tell me I'm so glad trouble don't last always. I'm so glad trouble don't last always. I'm glad trouble don't last always. Oh my Lord, oh my good Lord, oh my Lord, oh my good Lord. Tell, me. tell me what shall I do? I'm so glad, got my religion in time. I'm so glad, got my religion in time. I'm glad. Religion in time, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, tell me, tell me what shall I do? What shall I do? When I'm in trouble, what shall I do? When I'm burdened down, what shall I do? When my heart is heavy, what shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Call on Jesus, what can I do? Call on the Lord, what shall I do? He's a way maker. Yes, he is. What shall I do? He's a burden bearer. What shall I do? Oh, yes, he is. What shall I do? 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 Oh, my good Lord. Oh, my good Lord. Oh, my Lord. Tell me. What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Come on, y'all. What shall I do? What shall I do when I'm burdened? Trouble. What shall I do? What shall I do? Call on Jesus. Call him in the morning. Call him in the new day. Call him in the evening. What shall I do? What shall I do? Call him in the morning. He's right there. Call him in the new day. Yes, I can. Call him in the evening. Yes, I can. What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Call on Jesus. Call him in the morning. What shall I do? Call him in the new day. What shall I do? 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 Oh my good Lord. Oh my Lord. Tell me. Tell me what shall I do? Well, what shall I do? What shall I do? Come on, y'all. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? In a time of trouble, he's right there. I can call him. 
yes, I can. Call him in the morning, he's right there. Call him in the noonday, he's right there. Call on Jesus, yes, I can. What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Say, what shall I do? Call on Jesus. Call on Jesus, call on Jesus. What shall I do? 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 Oh my good Lord, oh my Lord, tell me what shall I do? Well, you don't know like I know what the Lord's done for me. for 
me. just don't know what he has done what he's done for me what he's done what he has done you don't know for me what he has done you just don't know me what he has done for me what he has done for and sisters, welcome to this hour of worship. Let me draw your attention to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 7 through 11. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. As we continue our journey through this letter of 1 John, we are going to enter now into a second subject in which John unveils in his writing. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we want to use for subject this morning on this passage, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? We now understand that in reading 1 John particularly chapter 1 and 2, one cannot ignore the fact that John is informing us that fellowship with God is the essential of a Christian walk. So far, he has informed us that there are two behaviors that can break or interrupt the flow of that walk with God. The first is sin. We find that in 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, all the way to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, which causes us to walk in the darkness instead of the light. The good news is that this sin factor has been dealt with in terms of eternity, says verse 2 of chapter 2, that Jesus in what he has done for us became the perpetuation for our sins. In other words, Jesus satisfied the demand that God had in terms of the forgiveness of sin. He also provides for us another piece of good news, and that is that the sin that now attempts to capture us on a daily basis can be handled likewise. First John chapter 1, verse 8 through chapter 2 verse 2 we have an advocate verse 1 of chapter 2 who stands on our behalf to help us and to navigate us through the minefields of temptation 
Now John introduces a second interruption. The first interruption is sin. The second interruption he introduces in verses 7 through 11 is the failure to love your fellow Christian. I must also confess uh, that John not only supports or suggests that those behaviors are interruptions, but that they are also tests in the life of the Christian. They are tests to help determine whether or not you really are walking in the light and if you really have been born again according to the Spirit of God. So we must at least conclude uh, that when we examine the words of 1 John chapter 1 and 2, so far we are really sort of wrestling with a question that's posed by the psalmist in Psalm 130 and verse 3. And here's his question. Lord, if you considered sins, who could stand before you? In other words, the psalmist wants to know if God judged us off of every single sin that we committed, or better said, if our life dependency was based on the judgment of God of everything we've done wrong, we certainly could not stand. And yet the psalmist comes back in verse 4 with good news and says to us, but there is forgiveness in you, God. That's the good news of both that Old Testament passage of Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4, and here in 1 John chapter 2. When we engage in this conversation now, which is a slight shift in John's provision, we are now talking about this loving your brother or hating your brother. We're really discussing our interpretation of what one would argue as the revelation of God. The revelation meaning how we see God. Because how you envision vertically will determine how you treat horizontally. One's revelation of God is not something that merely confirms what we already know. No, instead, it has to do with the knowledge of God in ourselves that it's utterly surprising and disturbing. Really, what we're trying to suggest is that the more you come to know about God, the more disturbing and the more challenging and the more changing of your own life you should be able to experience. It's an event that should shake us to the core. Although it comes as a gift, yet offering us a glimpse into the very heart of the mystery of God, it is resisted by many because when you talk about the revelation of God, the unveiling of who God is, it's both threatening and frightening. Revelation compels momentous decisions about who God is and how we are to understand both the world and those who are around us. Remember, Revelation also is the disclosure of the character and the purpose of God. And when it is received, it radically changes the lives of those who receive that revelation in return. Here is what frightens people. What frightens them is that once 
one acknowledges this revelation, this unveiling, this uh, opening up of who God is, once that begins to be unveiled, then everything may have to be rethought or redescribed in light of what has been discovered. This is a reason why persons, scholars, theologians, influencers of certain views don't permit new revelation or interpretations to inform them is because they want beliefs and interpretations to remain the same as a historical decision in the past that cannot be changed. They want to contend that they don't want to rethink or redescribe because that means changing. And changing means threatening and frightening discoveries. They reject the statements of the late Henry Richard Niebuhr who says the revelation of God in Jesus Christ is a continual disturbance to all religious life including and beginning with the Christian religion. In other words, when you begin to see more and understand more of who God is, it should disturb us to change. Niebuhr further says that the gospel of the crucified Lord constitute, here it is, a permanent revolution, a permanent revolution of our understanding of God, the world, and ourselves. So there are scholars, there are theologians, they're interpreters of scripture, scribes, who don't want to change or suggest that their interpretation is archaic. They want to hold on to what they want to because they don't want to accept the fact that there should be a permanent revolution in us, a consistent change. When I think about this revelation of God, I'm captivated by Avery Dulles, who provides in his book, Models of Revelation, five models in which I only want to deal with two, but it gives us insight into this whole conversation about revelation. Here's what he said in model number one. Revelation takes the form of authoritative doctrine, infallible prepositions of scripture or infallible doctrines of the church. In other words, God is merely reduced to a set of authoritative prepositions and that's what conservatism is that's what orthodoxy is it wants to reduce God to mere prepositions and contend that art get God can only be seen in those particular directions but I embrace Avery Dulles model of revelation number five because there he says, revelation is a new awareness that leads to the transformative action. So we're back to that point again. Whenever we come to know more of God, it should do something in us because of God. He says, revelation is seen as a breakthrough in human consciousness that expresses itself in creative imagination and ethical action. Revelation generates self and world transformation, which also includes the confirmation and the witness of scripture. In other words, Dulles is trying to tell us that when you get in contact with God and the word of God, 
begins to unveil the reality of God, it transforms your entire being. There are persons who both assume and presume that they have control of the revelation of God and they try to determine that being a Christian is merely an appropriation and a repeating of a tradition. When that happens, terrible things happen. Number one, revelation is replaced by ideology. It's not what the scripture says when that happens, it's what someone wants the scripture to say when that happens. And secondly, theology is replaced by idolatry. They come to worship the book more than they do the author of the book. I said that to say that John raises a number of considerations in this pericope that we're looking at, three questions. He says, revelation of God merely asks, what do I see when I think of who God is? Reflection of God merely asks, now that I've seen him, what do I do with what I have seen? What does it mean to me? And then relationship because of God, how do I live out what I have just witnessed? Those three questions are wrapped up in the shroud of at least the three themes that John tells us in this passage, verses 7 through 11. Light, in verse 7 through 9. Love, in verse 10. And darkness, in verse 10 as well. The consideration of these themes in this John passage also warrants our reexamination of Cain's question to God when posed or questioned by God, am I my brother's keeper in reference to Abel? The use of the term brother in the text where John uses merely refers to any man and not simply someone that we have as a blood relative. It comes from the same root word that means out of the same womb or having the same source of life. And we Christians are out of the same womb. We have the same source of life spiritually being born again in Christ. However, this is where our differences occur in the Christian community. We preach and publicize that we are from the same womb, but our actions say something totally different. Let me make a few statements to you in reference to living out the faith and making proclamations in reference to your faith and how it needs to coincide with actually how we live. Our outward attitudes reveal our inward conditions in our lives and the love that we have for others and the love that we have for the opposite whether it's hate or love reveal whether we live in the light or live in darkness says John so in other words our profession is merely not enough but the attitude of one's heart and the outward deeds of life must confirm what my confession is. And there are times, obviously, when Christians permit 
darkness to reign in our relationship with others? When, you might ask the question, well, I'm thinking historically, when, you, when the European church watched in silence and then in their silent act stamped the approval in permitting European Christians who claim to be to massacre Jewish boys and girls, men and women in the Holocaust. And the church in Europe said nothing. The American church does not escape the same indictment for American white Christians permitted the institution of chantal slavery of black bodies from Africa and not only stood in silence as this atrocity occurred, but gave its confirmation in the name of divine provision, arguing that God constituted and instituted such behavior to take place. And even now in the contemporary context, the church is still silent in being that they are indeed their brother's keepers, but instead they become complicit in dehumanizing their brother's humanity. Currently, we're still silent because you are perpetuating and sustaining that of white supremacy and the institutional racism. How? By your silence. So I'm not buying the idea that you're out there on the streets protesting and you're posting signs that says Black Lives Matter. I'm not buying that. You did that during the civil rights era. You rode on the Freedom Rides. You walked across the Pettus Bridge. You did all of that, and yet you still remained silent. You know that's walking in darkness. And you know that's perpetuating the darkness and you are permitting it to reign because you're walking in it. You want to walk in the light? You want to really recognize if you really are your brother's keeper? You want to really be honest and argue in your heart whether or not you love your brother? Here's what you want to do. You want to get off the streets and you want to go into the suites you want to go into the halls of Congress. You want to go into the boardroom of policy influencers and change policies, change laws, enforce what's already on the books. Then justice will roll down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream, says Micah chapter 6. You want to demonstrate love and walk in the light? Notice what you already have. You have a context for love and light. There is plenty of injustice. There is plenty of, uh, in terms of injustice, there is the uh, racism that's institutional. There is racism that's systemic. There is racism that's economic. There's racism that is uh, medical. There are tons of injustices. And you remain silent. You say you love your brother. There are conditions for love and light. We have a context and condition of police brutality on black bodies. And you remain silent. 
Oh, yeah, you protest. But you're not where the difference can be made. Putting the squeeze on those who are practicing injustice. Convictions from your love in light. What are they? Because if you read this text of 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, it makes clear that I'm not giving you some new commandment, says John. I'm giving you what you already have known. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 18. John is only reiterating what Jesus taught his disciples about loving. Yet you say that you are a Christian, and yet you're not walking in light. You're walking in darkness. I'm talking to the Christian community. My brothers and sisters who've got the power and the ability to stop the injustice. What are your convictions? Maybe you don't stop it and you remain silent because you don't treat me as equal. You don't consider me as equal. You don't consider me created in the image of God like you are. I think it's amazing when injustice comes to black life, it's pushed to the curve, it's marginalized, but injustice comes to white life, there's an immediate movement to correct the injustice. What is your courage? Where does your courage come from? There's plenty of room for courage from your love and light. Courage means I need to stand up and say what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right and pay the cost. You don't believe that. Look at the text. Because John says the one in verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The word stumbling there means scandalous. That simply means there is no scandal in his walk because he's willing to pay the price and not be a stumbling block to his brother. John says to us, you are either a lover or you are a hater. He doesn't give any middle ground. There's no gray area. It's as simple as that. That's what he says in verse 9. That's what he says in verse 11. Look what he says in verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You may not can see it now, but John says you're in darkness. And what's amazing about that, the word hate is in the present tense. That means it's a continuous unfolding day in and day out. It's a fixed attitude. And in verse 10, he talks about this Christian loving. And look what he says. In verse 10, he says the one who loves his brother abides in the light. The word abide there is once again in the present tense. It means he keeps on doing it over and over again in the light. And Christians may cease to agree, but they never cease to love. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. It's John's way of suggesting to us that you can preach and talk how much you love your brother all you want, but is it manifested in reality? 
And John declares both in this letter and in his gospel writing, love one another. It's a recurring theme throughout this letter. Chapter 3, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 7, verse 11, verse 12. There is a reflection of the tradition, that's where John gets it from, that Jesus once again gave his disciples when he said to them, you, in the plural, you are to love one another. John 13, verse 34 and 35. But Jesus even borrows it from Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. It's called the Shema in Hebrew and Jewish setting because the contention is you really can't love your brother unless you love the Lord. You're back to my initial statement. How you view God vertically, that revelation will determine how you treat your brother horizontally. So notice in John's gospel as I close, there's this idea of one another. And John's primary focus is on the relations, the relations and the attitudes, not for outsiders, but for insiders in the Christian community. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, or 4.9, love one another. Reiterating the point. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.22, love one another. Reiterating the point. I want to close with something that John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is merely reflecting what he's always said in the first chapter of his gospel. We are the incarnation and reflection of who God is. How are you going to say that you love God, and yet you can't love me? What's love got to do with it? Everything you could think of. That's the binding factor of the Christian community. Your silence will condemn you. I'm amazed at how we are Christians silent when it comes to the marginalized, vocal, when it comes to perpetuating systemic racism. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, bless now the time in which this word has gone forth, and I pray that its intention is to raise our consciousness that we can't say we love and yet not convey or portray that love. I pray for my brothers and sisters who may not look like me, but that they must come to recognize that they will stand judgment someday for permitting the injustice that happens to those who look like me. And God, I pray in the meantime, maybe some way, somehow, some mending can be discovered. I believe only through your intervention will such will take place. 
save that soul that calls on your name on this day that they too may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for we ask it all in Christ's name amen it's been our privilege our joy to share with you in the good news of the gospel and as always as we close this service we invite you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior today and if it is your opportunity to do so, we appreciate you letting us know that the Lord has made a difference and you've made that decision to trust him as Lord and Savior. Call our church office and give us your name. Give us a contact number so that we can call back and celebrate with you as well. For those of you who are both members and friends, we always thank you for your support of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. You enable us to continue ministry. And as we always do, as we come to the end of this service, please make sure you take time to go to your phone by way of text and text in your tithes and offerings or by way of e-giving by way of our church website or by mailing unto us your offering. However you decide, we greatly appreciate it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. Always remember, God loves you and so do I. Keep in mind the best is yet to come. Have a blessed, wonderful week in the Lord. Until we meet again, amen. What shall I do? What shall I do? Call on Jesus. What can I do? Call on the Lord. What shall I do? He's a way maker. Yes, he is. He's a burden bearer. Oh, yes, he is. What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, my good Lord. Oh, my Lord, tell me, what shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Come on, y'all. What shall I do? What shall I do? When burdens, trouble, what shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Call on Jesus. Call him in the morning. Call him in the noon day. Call him in the evening. What shall I do?